Hey, welcome to the Church Explain podcast, a conversation to grow your leadership and build your church. Today, we've got a fantastic guest joining with us. We've got a guy called Anthony Christopher, the whole way from Florida. So welcome, Anthony, to the show today. My name is Nathan, and with Dave, uh, I'm a host on the Church Explained podcast. And as you can tell, this is like raw. We are yeah, not really? polished here, but uh, oh. it's great. It's great to have Anthony Christopher with us. Anthony is the messaging pastor at Reverb Church in Saint Augustine, Florida, overseeing all things worship, production, digital, and communications across the church. So he's a busy guy. He also serves on the executive leadership team. They're helping drive vision and decisions for the wider church. But Anthony, apart from that, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your faith story and uh, entering into ministry all around that? Um, So, you know, I'm Sri Lankan, which is a tiny island just beneath India. No one really knows about it, but it's a gorgeous place to go. Um, My parents moved from there in 1988, moved to England. Um, My mom actually was in Norway. My dad moved to England. They got married. I was born in 91 in a, small, a place called Tooting in South London. So I'm born and raised in London. I love it. It's the best city in the whole wide world, I would say. Um, and um, my mum my, my was already a Christian. My dad became a believer when he was in, 19, I think, 1995. And the, ch- the kind of churches I grew up in are Tamil-speaking. So there's a language in Sri Lanka called Tamil. That's the language that um, I speak. Wow. Um, so all the churches I went to were Tamil-speaking churches. So I didn't know any Hillsong. I didn't know any Darling Czech. It was all like Tamil worship music. And that's what I grew up in. So um, got saved when I was 13 years old. Um, my sisters were born 13 weeks prematurely. And I was like, man, if there's a God that can save them, then I'm going to put my faith in him. And, um, you know, God has a funny way of doing uh, life with me. And they were, they're, they're doing great. And I was like, Look, I'm going to put my trust in uh, God because I know that this is a miracle. Um, so gave my life to Christ when I was 13 years old. And I would argue that I probably only really took my faith serious when I turned 19 and went to university. I went to uh, the University of Hertfordshire, studied biomedical science, um, which, you know, I didn't want to do. I wanted to do live sound production, but my mum and dad were like, no, 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 let's do a job that's going to pay you well. So they put me into, because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't clever enough to be a doctor. That's the truth. So they were like, what's a step down from that? And if you're watching online and you're you're not a doctor and you're a biomedical scientist, no shots fired at you. Um, I, so I, I did that and um, I worked at um, Public Health England for a year, which, you know, if you're in England right now, you should know all about that. So did a year with them and went back to university to finish out my final year. And I was actually approached by a local church pastor um, through my connections at the Christian Union that I was leading at the time. And out of the blue, he said, hey, man, look, we're, we, we just planted a church. It's only a year old. We're looking for our first hire. Would you be interested? And um, the truth is I didn't want to go back and do lab work because um, to me that's boring. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. But in my culture, you got to go to your parents and say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. What, 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 are your, what are your thoughts? And they were both like, no, we don't want you to do that. We want you to pursue a career. We want you to buy a house and all that stuff. And Long story short, I said, no. I said, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to take the job. I'm going to respect my parents. I'm not going to do it. And 
the guy asked me again. And I was like, look, I really want to do this. Took my parents. And this time, you know, I was like, the Bible says if you disagree with, you, disagree with someone, you bring someone in with you to kind of talk this through. Did that. Um, and they all three, they said, don't do it. So I said, okay, no. But the thing my uncle said, he was the other person that came. He was like, look, if this is supposed to be, it's going to happen. And you'll get asked again. And um, mm. the pastor, he's not the kind of guy who, you know, begs. And I'm grateful for that because I knew it was God when he asked me the third time. And this time I didn't go to my parents. I said, yeah, I'll do it. And then I got, I went and told my parents. So that's how I got into my first ever ministry job. <laughs> um, and um, the biggest joke is I took over the kids' ministry, had no idea what I'm doing. Because remember, I've never been in uh, an English church before. I've never gone in any form of leadership in one of those contemporary churches before. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so did that and worked through pretty much any role you could think of except for women's ministry, which I'm grateful for. Um, so yeah, long story short, that's how I got into my first ministry role. Wow. Wonderful. Hey, it's great to hear some of your story there. And come on, t- tell us, what, what do you do for fun? We just want some fun in here yeah. as well. So tell us, what do you do for fun? Honestly, I love my wife. My, my wife's name is Lindsay. And, you know, we got three kids. So fun to me. I think you can love your kids, but know that sometimes it's just not fun with them. So I, I love them so much that I want to have fun with my wife instead. So every Friday, my um, mother-in-law graciously takes care. Of, she takes care of all the kids and we get to go out for the whole day. And what we do is we find restaurants or places we've never eaten before, and we just go after it. So the other day we went to an um, Israeli restaurant, and it was incredible. So that's what we do. Mm. We just love eating places and getting good coffee. And, mm. you know, she's all about the pictures. So anything that she can attend where she can take a picture, I'm all in for, you know. I'm trained, well-trained <laughs> in helping her take pictures. Yeah. That's are you a uh, are you a ph- photographer? Uh, it's it's Anthony. been four years of training. I, I'm still not there yet. But what I've learned is, and this is great advice if you're a single young man, um, the rule is take as many shots as possible. And if you think it's enough, it's not enough. Just keep going until you're stopped by <laughs> your wife or your girlfriend. Um, so I've learned that rule. Yeah. Hey, so Anthony, you 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 you've. Uh, you moved to Florida. Tell us a wee bit about that. I mean, obviously, yeah. you got into ministry. You were serving in a church here in the UK. You moved to Florida. T- tell us a, a little bit about that and the church there in Florida. And then we're, we're, we're going to get in and just chat a little bit around your role in a moment or two. But we'd just like to hear a bit more about, obviously, people are listening and they, they, they've heard you're in Florida, they listen to your accent, and the two do not add up because you've got a, your accent is more British than mine is. So come on, share with us what happened there. What's the journey? What's yeah, the story? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of wild. Um, so in 2019, so I'd been working for the, the church that I was talking about. It was in St. Albans. Worked for them for about four years. And then, you know, Lindsay and I, we, we decided it was time to move on. And we, we were starting preparations to move to the U.S. from that point onwards. And um, along the way, you know, 2020 comes along, you know, and everyone knows about 2020. Mm. And it's honestly a miracle story. And mm-hmm. it, again, I'll, I'll keep it super short, but um, the, on, I think, March, one of the Mondays in March, um, President Trump out here at the time said, hey, we're going to shut down the borders. Um, if you're a U.S. citizen, if you need to get back home because we're, we're not going to let anyone else in. Um, so I'm at the embassy at this point and I've just got the approval for my visa and it takes like 14 working days. 
to get your visa. So I'm like, oh my gosh, if I'm not, if I don't get out this week, we're, we're, we're doomed. Um, and this is how you know God is in the move. Tuesday morning, um, we get the letter of approval in the mail saying, hey, we're, we're processing your visa. It's going to be 14 working days. Wednesday morning in the mailbox is my visa. And then Friday, we, we wow. handed our notice to um, our landlord. Saturday, we get on a plane out. And um, I'm, I'm saying that because before all of this, the church out here, so Reverb, the, the one that I work for now, they had reached out to me because my, my in-laws go to this church. They knew about my background and that I, I work for a church. They out of the blue contacted me and said, hey, if you are going to move out to Florida, would you consider working for us? And I was kind of like, are you serious? Like, you don't really know me. You've only met me like once or twice and you want me to work for you. So again, this is like, I, I keep saying, this is how I knew it was God that moved me from the UK to America because honestly, I didn't apply for a church job. I was already in a um, more corporate role that I could do anywhere in the world. And I was kind of content with that. Um, and so I wasn't really in a, in a rush to get back into ministry. But um, just like how I was approached to work for the first church, for some reason, God has a really funny sense of humor that he wants to find me in my most comfortable and be like, actually, it's enough. Put that down. Let's let's move to America and do ministry again. So that's how I found myself at um, Reverb. And when I joined, I started taking over the, um, the digital side of things because obviously in 2020, everything was digital. So I was very hands-on mm -hmm. with going their YouTube platform. That was the big one, which um, I think at the time, and I'm not saying this to brag, but I'm just saying how how if you put enough focus on something, you can grow something. We had, I think, 300 subscribers mm -hmm. on YouTube in March 2020. We just passed the 1,000 people mark just about a week ago. And that was heavy right. focus and drive yeah. into it. And obviously 2020 and 2021 early really helped with people being online. But that's what that was my first big project when I moved out of it. Hey, that sounds pretty pretty exciting stuff and a, an exciting move the whole way from rainy England to sunny Florida. I'm sure you guys are happy with that. Uh, I know. I know. When we were chatting, Anthony, a little bit about your role. Obviously, you, you, you're called. Your title there is around the messaging pastor. Pastor, and um, you can say a little bit about that name in a moment. But I, I, I know when we chatted, we talked about this idea of the fact that you love serving in the role you're in. You love being almost in that second chair. You're not necessarily looking to go to a senior role or a senior leader. And, and I just wonder if you'd maybe speak into that because there's probably lots of leaders listening thinking, well, I'm in my role. And, and actually, sometimes people are thinking, I need to get to the next level and next level. But maybe it's about being content in the role you're in. So I wonder if you could just speak into that. You know, Tell us a little bit about your role um, and, and, and what this means to you about sort of being in the second yeah. chair? I think regardless of the role that you're in, you should be content in whatever position you're in, especially when it comes to ministry. I'm called to ministry. I'm not called to be a youth pastor. Does that make sense? Like the role that I play or the department mm -hmm. that I serve in is irrelevant. I'm called to ministry. I'm, I'm called to building the church. So, you know, jokes aside, if they put me over women's ministry, I guess I'm doing women's ministry. I wouldn't be great at it. I know. You know, but it, it's irrelevant. I'm I'm literally here at my pastor's pleasure, and whatever he or she wants me to do, I'm going to execute that role. And so, when the way I link that to the second chair, or um, yeah, 
the number two position, which is, you know, not necessarily the lead pastor, but serving on a exec team. I find joy in that because I can go and ask my pastors, hey, what are you struggling with? What are your pain points? What would you like me to solve? And then I can go fix that. First and foremost, I think that's leadership 101. Your, your job is to solve problems. Everyone in leadership should be able to do that. And I think that's a prerequisite of being a leader. But I also think that it is a gift. Like I, I think I'm, without blowing my trumpet, I think I'm good at seeking out problems and solving them. Um, I get a kick out of it. Um, and I think, I think back to my, the first job that I worked for and the leader that I worked for, he was really good at trusting me with um, solving problems. You know, I, was, I had zero experience in all aspects of church, but he would, like, I'm, I'm thinking back right now, you know how, like, churches can sponsor people from abroad to work for them? He had me in charge of the whole application process. And I was only, what, 24 at the, at the time? And looking back, because now I'm in a church where we use lawyers for that kind of stuff, he had me do the whole process. So you might think of that as, oh my gosh, that doesn't sound wise. I look at that thing, what an empowering leader. He trusted me to fix a, a, a problem that he was facing. And when he told me he wanted me to do that, I just said, yeah, how hard can it be? Um, and it was petrifying, but I've learned so much because of it. And I know that I'm the man I am because of those opportunities. Um, so being in the second seat for me is very freeing. I, I, I don't have the weight of the whole church on me. I don't. And frankly speaking, my parents were pastors of the church that I was in. I don't, I don't, I don't see that for me, you know, and I think that's okay. I don't feel like I need to preach every week. In fact, I'm content with not preaching at all. Um, but if I'm asked to, you better believe I'm going to um, do it to the best of my ability and serve my class as well. Um, so yeah, if that, I hope that helps someone because I know there are people that sometimes see it as, here's the thing, ambition is good. Like we should all strive, uh, not strive, we should all want to progress, right? We should all want to climb the so-called ladder, um, but not at the cost of other people and not at the cost of your true like calling, which I'm saying your calling is to ministry first. Um, not, I don't think it's necessarily to a role. Um, I think you're called to leadership, you're called to ministry, and that's good enough. Um, so yeah, it's very freeing for me. I love it, and I get a kick out of it. So that's why I enjoy being um, in the position that I'm in. It's great. Yeah, it's love, great. Love yeah, it's great thinking, uh, Anthony. I wonder if um, you just um, kind of, uh, just to jump off the back of that a little bit, um, you mentioned, I know you wrote it down in some of the notes that we have here, uh, that you enjoy fixing the things that bother my pastors and you're good at spotting them. I wonder if you could um, talk about yeah. how you spot those and, it, you know, like the intentionality of spotting those uh, problems f for your pastors and, and how you do yeah, that. Yeah, I'll answer well. that, but then I'm going to switch it to both of you because I know for a fact you both serve in a similar position to what I do. So maybe we can all like bounce ideas around because I know it will help a lot of people. For me, some of the verbal cues are, I wish we could. So if I hear my pastor say, I wish we could mm -hmm. do this, I will write that down and I will research it. So I remember my pastor was saying, I wish we had a building. So I would go online and search as many buildings as possible, whether we could afford them or not, and contact estate agents and say, hey, how much would it be for us to do this? And then I'll present it to my um, pastor or to people that I knew in the congregation that are really good at this stuff. And try and present solutions. Be like, 
I know you want to do this, um, and I know it may not be possible, but here, here are the things that maybe we need to do before that. Um, if you're in a WhatsApp group with your um, lead pastor or you see him comment in certain group chats, if he says, oh, man, that's so frustrating, or um, can you do this, or I know, we can, I know I want to do this one day. Like if you see any of that language, take a note. Um, what are what are the things that you know your pastor is frustrated by, and you can tell by facial expressions. On a Sunday, be be observing your pastor. Um, what is he looking at? Is he looking at the, is he looking at a certain um, spot in the auditorium every single Sunday? If so, what is bothering him about that specific um, spot? Is it because the light is too bright in his face, and he's not willing to tell you because he's just trying to be nice? Well, you can fix that. Um, is he frustrated or is she frustrated by? The front row not being filled. Solve that problem. Get a bunch of your mates and sit on the front row. That's honestly that's the number one thing that I've um, experienced. They, a pastor loves that front row pool and vocal. So you can be the solution to that. Don't expect someone else to do that. You you can do that. Um, so those are the things that I was observed. But can I flip it to you guys and ask like, what are the other cues that you've seen? Go for it, Dave. Go for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think what you've said there, Anthony, is brilliant in the sense of um, looking for those verbal cues or looking for the body language. And, and I think that's something that we, we would tend to do quite well at Icon Church. We're looking, we're looking for that stuff, but we're also asking the right questions, thinking about the questions we want to ask that will help, I suppose, sometimes move the, the burden from the senior leaders, not in a wrong sense, but help them carry that burden or help them carry those issues rather than they're carrying it, but they feel like they're on their own. So I think one of one of the things I'm always looking out for is how can we help to make their work easier in the things that they're doing? So it's just noticing those things and asking the right questions in the right environments as well, and asking the questions that will help the team see the big picture and not just not just um, the individual. So it's trying to see help people see the big the big issues and how yeah. can we solve these together? Yeah, when you said um, like asking the right mm. questions, I think one of the best questions that I would ask is, what can I take up your plate this week? So if you have a one-to-one, -one, and th this is not just for the senior leader. So like I have four team members that report to me and they all ask me the same question. Hey, what can we take up your plate? And I ask that to my upline, what can I take up your plate? And the cool thing is, we all want our churches to grow. I'm pretty sure that anyone listening to this podcast wants their church to grow. And we can only grow if we share the load of work that needs to be done to do that. And I think the healthy churches, and I know that Icon for a fact is a healthy church, they ask their senior leaders these questions. And that way the senior leader can focus on driving the vision, meeting up with people, pushing the vision forward, pushing you know, planning uh, more effectively, preaching more effectively. They can only do that if they're not in the nitty-gritty of all the things that, you know, we can take off their plates. Mm. So if we want our churches to grow, we've got to be um, proactive in asking our leaders, hey, what can we take off your plate? What can we distribute out to the rest of the team? And actually, that's also discipleship. Bringing other people along the journey mm. is the mm. whole point of discipleship. So it's not just leadership. It's actually a biblical principle to bring people on the journey yeah. and do the work together equipping the saints if you want to be all spiritual about it that's our job to do um and the more people involved mm. there's more buy-in so naturally the church will grow because more more buy-in means more things get done so i think it's a win-win yeah definitely no i 
I agree. And uh, you said a word there that was kind of going to be my uh, thing of proactive, being proactive with it. You know, you can see, uh, you know, you gave the example looking in the auditorium in the same spot, but you could just think, well, he's bothered by that, but you don't do anything about it. It's being proactive. You know, it's being proactive in asking the questions. It's just being proactive in doing that and being willing to do it. Um, I think yeah. it's really important. So, Anthony, you obviously you've um, you know you've entered into this uh, new season, this new church. What have been some of the biggest changes in the church where you are now, and how have you navigated the, those changes with your? Yeah, teams? so really exciting season in our church. Um, we just uh, bought a brand new building in. I say brand new. It was an old building. We bought it in twenty twenty. Um, and it used to be an old golf shop. Yeah, well done. And we stripped it all down um, and built it from the ground up. And um, it's been a big change because wow. the, the crazy thing is I'm 30 years old now. I've never been in a permanent building for a church. I've always been in a set-up, tear-down environment. Wow. So it's all I know. Mm. Um, so when we were making the transition, as a church, we've been portable for 10 years. We've only existed for 10 years. This is our 10th year of ministry. Mm. Um the, the transition and the journey for the volunteer base and for our staff especially has been very different. Like, everything changes, and obviously you guys know this better than me because you've done this multiple times. Um, and I guess some of your locations are still portable, right? But you have some permanent locations, so you, you yeah. guys know more than I do about this on the other side of it. But we're right in the middle of that um bringing people along the journey. You know, you hear statements like, man, they've got enough volunteers now. They're in their new building. I'm like, man, until Jesus comes, there's never enough volunteers. There's always plenty to do. So that doesn't work. Yeah, uh, so even teaching our volunteers that. And then I don't know if it's if you guys have felt the same um, in transitions from portable to permanent. But for some reason, when, there's, when it becomes a permanent location, more people start coming to the church, newer people start coming to church. It's interesting to me. I don't understand the science behind that. But helping that many new people in a short amount of time understand the culture of the church and equally those people that are joining team, helping them understand, hey, this is what it looks like to be on team. Um, That has been a challenge because, you know, we've essentially doubled in size in the last, I would say, six months. So we're, you know, we're ramping everything up as quick as possible, trying to make everything as easy as possible, onboarding as quick and easy as possible. It's been a challenge. Um, and um, one of the things that we've been doing in the realm that I oversee in messaging, I tend to focus on one or two departments per year. So I've got four departments that I oversee. But the truth is I'm not good enough for a leader to oversee and be intentional on all four and give all 100% of my you know, thought, my energy, and my drive. So I pick two per year and say, hey, I'm just going to focus on these guys. So mm. this year has been you know, worship and production. So one of the biggest things we changed for the worship team is there's a whole re-auditioning process. We literally took all of our team. I think we have about 45 team members for the worship team. And I said, every single one of you are going to go through the audition process. And here's why. It's not okay for just myself and my worship director to be telling people this is what the process is. As a church, there's, there's a lot of us now. So I need all 45 of you to go through it and be the evangelists for the worship team. Um, so we just did that. We elevated the standards. We're like, hey, one of the things that we're going to be strong about as a ministry and as a worship team is we're going to be present. Whether you're scheduled or not, we expect you to be in church. So 
I know it's crazy, but our, our radical uh, thought is that you should you should be in church at least three out of four times a week. And bear in mind, the norm in the U.S. is once every uh, four weeks. So we're challenging that and trying to drive mm. them towards, um, and this is where discipleship for me is. We're trying to help them understand, you know, church is crucial to our Christian faith and to our walk, and therefore we want people on platform mm. to represent that. And so, yeah, we've said if you, we would love for you to be there three out of the four weeks, and we check it. Um, obviously, if they if they got holidays or vacation, that's different. But you know, for the most part, we we have an expectation that you lead from the front or you lead from the seats in the auditorium. Either way, you're on team. Um, so that's one of the biggest changes we made, and I think two of the biggest principles that I've really been focusing on. Um, one I've taken from a, one of my favorite books. Um, there's a lot of swearing in it, so don't read it. Um, and don't judge me about this, but it's a, it's a book called <laughs> it's a book called Extreme Ownership by um, Jocko Willink. It's one of my yes, yes, it's yes. one of my favorite Listen books of all time. I've read it maybe three or four times. And like I said, um, if you're weak in your faith, don't read it. It's got too many words in it. <laughs> but um, the principle is that mm-hmm. you own everything. Um, so one of the things I got our uh, messaging teams to do, uh, we we did our Christmas um, you know experiences. I got every single messaging team member on that day to walk around from the car park all the way to the kids' um, spaces um, through to the auditorium. They literally went around picking up litter off the floor and made sure every environment was perfect. And I sat them down at the end and I said, this is what extreme ownership looks like. The auditorium isn't your place of ownership. That's a part of what you want. We own the whole experience and the experience starts from, from the car park. We don't need that just to the people who oversee the parking team. If you're on platform, you're a host. If you're on production, you're a host. We're welcoming people into the presence of uh, Jesus, and we hope that by the end of it, they will leave forever changed. So um, we've been kind of harping on about the principle of extreme ownership. And the other one is candor, um, C-A-N-D-O-R, which is, for me, if I was to dip, uh, spiritualize it, it would be grace and truth. Um, both go hand in hand. And so what I never want to happen is people be afraid to tell me something that they've seen that could be improved. I want them to be able to come up to me. They want them to call me out on things. I'm okay with that because I'm a man. I can make mistakes. In fact, I do make mistakes. Mm. And I've told my team, if we're not candid with each other, if we don't have grace and truth at the same time, we're not going to grow. We're not going to fix the things that are um, broken and anything and we're not going to be able to fix bad culture that may seep in as new people come in and it's um what's it saying the uh here um, uh, dave you'll know this because you know the bible inside out it's the little it's the little spot uh, little foxes that spoil the vine right that's a problem somewhere right? please yes been fantastic so nathan where else can people find uh free resources all that sort of stuff we give away yeah, so uh, icon.church forward slash open. There's all the free resources on there. And um, also, let me just encourage you. Uh, I-, I know this has been a great uh, episode and yes. uh, you'll definitely want to share this. So please share this with people. And if you could rate, review, subscribe, however you're consuming the content, that really helps us. But that's it for now on the Church Explained podcast. We look forward to seeing you again very soon.